Hello everybody, welcome back to the Founders Club podcast, season two. Today, my guest is Davide Cali, who is an Italian executive, researcher, and obviously a founder as all, most all of my guests. He actually is the founder of uh, Expand, which is a technology accelerator for early stage startups, focusing on a deep tech, digital science, and smart industry. Hello, Davide. Welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Hi, Giorgio. Thank you for having me. So, uh, first of all, um, let's start uh, with a little bit of uh, background. And uh, what we can start with is a brief uh, self-introduction. And maybe we can touch upon the origin story of how did you end up in Shanghai? Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, I think you already gave a very good uh, quick introduction but anyway uh, well I'm from Italy uh, so I'm in IT for 25 years um, I've done some research and I started different companies um, I've been serving uh, third parties for many many years um, actually the first time I came to China was 2010 and I landed in Shanghai and then Beijing I was uh, a part of a government Italian government delegation um, it was the World Expo in Shanghai, um, so it was a very good chance for me to get in touch with the industry here and I met a lot of uh, um, personalities of different people working in different sectors. Um, so I always had this memory about Shanghai, like an amazing place where it was growing very fast and uh, I started doing some cross-border projects. Um, well. I've been doing some business uh, through Hong Kong as well. And then in 2015, I decided to move to Shanghai. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, the, the, the reason was professional. Um, I, I, there was an AI company that actually asked me to come. Um, and I was supposed to, to help them. So that's how I started. Right. So 2015, you moved to Shanghai. Uh because of different projects you've been involved in. And in 2016, uh, you co-founded Expand, uh, which I mentioned in the introduction uh, is a technology accelerator. Would you like to, I'd like to, to talk more about uh, how you guys work uh, with uh, startups, foreign startups, but is it also local uh, startups like uh, led by Chinese or only foreigners? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, to be honest, at the beginning, uh, we mostly had foreigners uh, founders. Uh, they were already based in, in China. And then after some time, uh, we got some joint venture. So maybe some founder Chinese, local, or from Asia. Uh, so, and we are starting to talk now to some Chinese founders more than before, but I would say our uh, core, we have now like 22 companies in our portfolio. Uh, the, 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 the vast majority, they are, they are foreigners who are doing business in China or Southeast Asia. So you are helping more on the technology side rather than the, the business model? Or what, what is it, um, the unique selling point that uh, these companies benefit in entering the accelerator usually? 
Yes, okay, that's correct. Well, as you said before, we define ourselves like a technical accelerator. So definitely uh, technology is our strongest point. If you compare us with other kind of accelerator, most of them, they have a business DNA. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's not that we don't do business because we handle companies. Uh, what we think is that there, there is a switch and what is the, the focus point to be successful. Um, the age of internet mobile companies, I think it faded until like a few years ago. You just have a good idea, business model, like let's share something. And then we build an app, we build a mobile uh, application or before it was a website or a combination of the two. And you, you, you burn cash for advertising and there you get your new Airbnb. And VC have been riding this way for a long time. And the technical due diligence is almost unexistent. This company don't really have a tech advantage. Uh, Airbnb, for example, doesn't have any tech advantage. Uh, it's all the advantage they have, they are business advantage. So what, what I think it's happening now is that technology is playing a much more important role. So we see as technical, uh, like a competitive edge. Uh, that's what we think. So um, we try to actually help the startup to build themselves a competitive advantage and to increase their chances to succeed. And yeah. right now we have 91% uh, survival rate after two years, uh, average by our, for our company. So I think that's that's pretty good uh, result. Yeah, that's impressive. Also because um, in China, uh, most of the companies, uh, local companies, they're really well, really able to innovate on what is the business model, whereas it's more difficult to innovate on the technology side. Um, and I'd, I'd like to ask you, what are some of the, um, some of the challenges that, beside this, uh, that foreign founders or local foreign founders have to face when they uh, try to um, bring a product in the Chinese market? Yeah, usually in your experience? Uh, well, I, I would say that uh, the hardest part is to connect to the market. Uh, what happens a lot and what we try to push all the company is to go through the uh, foreigner bubble. Uh, so basically many foreigners come here and they have a vision to the foreign market, right? Which is very small and, and the best days like 1 million people in a country of 1.2 billion, it's really nothing. Uh, so I think the, ma the main challenge is actually to crack uh, the Chinese market, to understand and adapt uh, the business culture and the needs of the customers. Um, I think this is, this is the, base, the biggest challenge. Um, there are also some entrepreneurs who actually left China and now they're uh, addressing like Western market and they all tell me basically that now they feel it's so easy for them. They understand better the needs of the customers. And the other interesting thing is that they feel like the speed of the Western war is much slower, right? So they feel like a competitive advantage now they acquired after being in China fighting so fiercely and everything is so fast and everything happens uh, at a completely different pace. And now they're back to the Western market and they feel like uh, they are like, overtrained or something. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you've been in a, if you have been to China, you've been like in an arena of gladiators 
and yes. and if you have to go back to Europe, you're like, okay, I'm going just to the, have a walk in the park. But still, <laughs> it, it's a challenge uh, bringing new yeah, business yeah, model. Um, so yeah, uh, mainly um, what I wanted another point I wanted to touch upon. Uh, lately, you've been part of one of the biggest conference when it comes to AI, which was a World AI Conference in uh, Shanghai. And uh, you've been a moderator in the panel of uh, AI disruptive startups. Uh, what are the main takeaways from the conference uh, that you uh, uncovered or you took from? Uh, yeah, actually, it was very interesting. This time was the first, uh, of course, it was online uh, uh, because of COVID, uh, but uh, I think they previous edition had like uh, 90,000 people uh, at the door and this time only our panel had more than 100,000 and the, the whole website had 2 million unique visitors so actually the audience was was larger than, 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 than previously and um, there was some very interesting technical discussion happening so it was not just like a commercial event um, and for the first time, it was open to the foreign uh, companies. I mean, beside uh, the big uh, names, right, that were invited, but it has been in the past mostly a Chinese AI event. And for the first time, there was uh, one day completely dedicated to foreign companies. So we had the chance to feature also uh, smaller early age startups. So um, I would say that this is like uh, the most interesting things that I uh, I saw during the event. Are there any startups uh, that kind of like excelled with uh, presenting their technology or their know-how in the event? Uh, well, I, I was not able to actually see all the sessions, so I'm afraid that, uh, that my uh, uh, vision was, it's my opinion is a little partial. Um, <laughs> I was impressed by the actually the main event and the ceremony. Uh, Benjo and Professor uh, Yao they really did very very good speech. Um, about, among the big names, I noticed like SAP moving to smart city, which was really really surprising for me. So I saw a lot of uh, dynamism and uh, mm, yes, of, of course, expand companies. I think they were the most interesting one. <laughs> Uh, some of them were actually Peter. Of course, I have to be partial. So, <laughs> sounds great. Um, so obviously, uh, there is has been a lot of buzz around uh, AI and how this technology is shaping different industries. Um, is there any particular industry that uh, during the uh, during the event uh, has shown some to be ripe to be disrupted by? by using this technology, leveraging this technology? Uh, well, uh, that, that was a recurrent team, actually. Uh, and I would, of course, it's health. Um, I already knew that, of course, uh, health is going to be, not just for the COVID, I always thought that it's going to be um, one of the, 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 the next uh, revolution. Uh, we, I personally call it digital science. Uh, for me, it's like the convergence of uh, um, the life science and the, the IT, IT science. 
so I see a lot of innovations, a lot of new product solutions that are found uh, when there is a contamination happening. Uh, and during the, the conference, uh, there were actually very famous uh, uh, doctors participating and uh, more, more than like some uh, actually achievement, it felt more like a cry for help. Uh, so a lot of people were actually kind of disappointed uh, by the impact that actually AI had during the crisis. And I think this is probably due to the hype uh, that is around AI and the, 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 the misunderstanding that AI is already um, there and can do amazing things. And uh, the reality is that it takes a lot of time. Um, for example, a genome project took three years of machine learning experiments before they actually got some result, right? So it's not something that it's ready for emergency. Um, but everyone agreed that uh, that is a direction that need to be uh, explore more and where most of investment they should be addressed uh, to be ready for the next uh, crisis. So I would say health was definitely uh, the most common topic uh, in during the whole conference. Yeah, um, health was very, I think it's uh, an urgent crisis that has to be dealt with. And to, to what I've noticed is that this technology, AI, uh, has not lived to its potential or to the degree to, towards which it was hyped. And people kind of feel disappointed, but obviously the, the, to develop algorithms, maybe to predict when it's going to be like uh, the next infection rate or and so on and so forth, it's, it takes some time and needs a lot of data. And here in Europe, um, there is not much talk about uh, AI so far since I relocated back here. I haven't seen any panel or uh, of online events in, in that direction of how we can leverage AI, whereas in China is more far away. So do you think China is going to become, uh, the, or uh, to some degree it is becoming the leading uh, power in leveraging this technology or at least at the research level? What, what, what is your take on that? Yeah, that's a very complicated uh, topic. Uh, um, okay, the I would say the field is not homogenous. There are like difference. For some part, um, USA, Europe still have the leadership. If we talk about uh, a theoretical, general uh, research for AI, uh, there is still a predominance in the in the West. Um, uh, most of the um, actual uh, Results, amazing result in Asia, in China, it's practical applications. I make an example: face recognition. Uh, the framework are from Europe, Stanford, but the result and implementation that has been achieved here, it's mind blowing. Uh, the the accuracy is like uh, unbelievable. The speed is unbelievable. There is no company that can actually be a match. And then on the other hand, there is the decision from the Western countries and the biggest companies to stop doing it. So IBM, Microsoft, they're saying, okay, we're not going to touch face recognition anymore for ethical reason. And I'm very surprised about that to hear that because for me, I don't see what is the ethical problem. Uh, if we can stir the DNA, why you cannot stir uh, the, 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 
database information they are in our passport anyway so i don't understand that our biometric data are already in our passport uh, so to me it sounds like a, a, a white flag right like okay we cannot compete we cannot beat let's make it not viable uh, like burn the the, the pits right uh, so this is like uh, just an example how the the, the thing there's this is an asymmetric situation right and many of the barriers on the protection of the data the difficulty to handle the data are gonna make china the best place to continue to do ai because there is a one clear direction from the government they want to explore this technology as much as possible they have a lot of data and little barrier of how they these data are used and that makes the best place to actually explore and make practical uh, application of ai it's already happening you have companies that already took advantage of this technology and actually uh, stormed the world and uh, disrupting the even the market shares and they've done just by AI. Right, that's interesting. Um, we'll see what will come next and if China will be the one who will fully enable, use this technology to advance and become the, the primary uh, country who actually uh, leverages it full potential. Um, talking about the disruption uh, that you mentioned before, how COVID-19 shaped uh, the startup ecosystem or disrupted the startup ecosystem overall? Um, because many founders, uh, let's take example of China, for instance, could not go back to China. They have to maybe pivot their businesses or some of them even have to close down their businesses. Where is the, um, on the field, on the ground, what is the, it looks like for, for you and your experience so far? Well, well um, I have to say that uh, in our case, uh, uh, we were not much affected because uh, most of our companies, they are digital um, and we don't have any uh, off purely offline business. Uh, eventually, it's a, uh, Ottawa, but there is nothing which is purely traditional. So I think the biggest hit uh, was taken by the traditional business, the, the offline business. Uh, I think uh, digital business has proven to be more resilient. That is something that it's clear to everyone. Uh, during a crisis, uh, basically the digital economy proven to be more resilient. Uh, so there are also so there are also some domains, some fields where uh, for companies that were focusing, I don't know, on uh, tourist services, for example, right, or restaurant or food and beverage. Um, if it's a delivery, it works because people stay at home. It just, it's very simple. The scenario has changed. So uh, there is an impact. Uh, some businesses have been thriving, like uh, digital, like uh, delivery, I was saying before, or uh, online education, right? Uh, these businesses have been thriving and booming. And of course, other business like uh, uh, hotel bookings and tourist services are, are suffering. So um, I think uh, if the company has not only a strong team, but have a good technology, they can pivot. For example, that one, one data science uh, company that is in our portfolio, uh, they were focusing on retail uh, sales analysis. Of course, that's very bad time, right? Uh, so they just pivoted. Now they're working on uh, insurance and uh, and health 
data, right? So they're trying to uh, cover different domains. So uh, sometimes it's just uh, moving the field. Um, you need to be creative and try to understand what are going to be the change also in the long term. Because I don't think this is just a crisis that's happening and then after six months, everything goes back like it was before. Um, because one or two years, it will create new habits. It will change the behavior of consumers. So you need to try to uh, anticipate what is going to be the change that is going to be uh, permanent and what is just the temporary adjustment that you have to do. Yeah, it's really interesting that you, you mentioned that because I think we are assistance to some tectonical shifts in our behaviors and our ways of interacting and doing business and so on and so forth. And the hard part is to predict actually, okay, what are those new behaviors or new patterns are going to emerge? Yes, but if you think about it, um, China was never supposed to be a friendly country for e-commerce because there is a very low trust uh, between seller and buyer, right? It's, a, it's a, the culture, it's very uh, deeply rooted, the mistrust. Uh, but uh, if you look at the history of this country, there was the SARS 2003. And if you look at the number of Alibaba, they start booming just after the SARS. Actually, they were on the edge of the bankruptcy. So the SARS actually helped them and then it changed the behavior. And then China became very friendly on e-commerce. Of course, they use a different system based on like an e-screw. And that was the success of uh, Alibaba. Basically, they, they the people needed to have to not go stay more at home and get goods at home. And they found a solution uh, that was a perfect fit. And after that, it, it, it boomed. And during this crisis, the e-commerce, the traders, they are e-traders are making much more turnover and profit. So um, there is, there is, you can also look in the past. It's not the first time that it happened. I mean, that's what I do, actually. I, I study past cases and, <laughs> and trends, sometimes even history. And I try, I try to, because the, the, the story, the history repeats itself more than we think about it. Right. And you mentioned uh, Alibaba, uh, which uh, was able to try because of SARS. And now we see Zoom in, the, in 2020 yes, that thrives exactly. because of COVID-19. Yes. And it's interesting because they also have uh, still a Chinese founder. Well, in the case of Zoom, it's Chinese American, but still a Chinese yeah, company yeah, right. to some degree. It, it's a it's a emigrated brain, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to uh, talking about big companies and what is going in the ecosystem, uh, currently we're assisting uh, kind of like a fight between two to the two most powerful economies one is us and another is china and on on the technological uh, arena we see the possible ban of which actually was already banned uh, in the executive order tiktok and there is uh, microsoft who is interested to to buy their operation in uh, mostly us and other speaking uh, english speaking countries how this uh, battle uh, or this acquisition or possible ban affects the overall ecosystem of startups worldwide or in US and in China? Uh, well, this is a very complex and delicate uh, topic. Um, 
I think it's a it's a disgrace what's happening, uh, and I would say it's not just uh, one specific case happening. Um, talking about historical trend, I see a very very dangerous trend happening, which is like a, a reduction of uh, globalization, and this is not the first time that it's happening. Um, globalization is not something that started. 10, 20 years ago, is actually started uh, hundreds or maybe thousand years ago. And most recently, the, f- the last time there was a big contraction of globalization, that's when the 29th crisis hit the world. And then after started even a world war. So I'm very concerned about what's happening. And basically what I see is a tendency from, uh, from each country that has been doing free trade in the past to start creating barrier for commerce. And it's not just the USA, it happened also in some country inside the, uh, Europe. And uh, the, the paradox is that China is actually going in the different direction because China had a very close market before, economy completely closed, and now it's opening up. And the number of uh, sectors of economy which are restricted reduce every year. And now the rest of the world is kind of uh, pushing on the brakes, right? So what, what I see happening is a very dangerous um, uh, trend uh, that will, at the end, will damage the whole economy. Uh, so I think that uh, we cannot revert ourselves because we don't have this power. So we need to be ready for this scenario. So what I, what I suggest to my companies is to be ready for uh, multi-global markets. Uh, so to be, uh, or to be global, like it's a, it's a term used like in the food, uh, uh, green uh, food uh, chain. Uh, but I think that's what is going to happen. Um, TikTok tried a little bit, but they didn't se- uh, separate the infrastructure, for example. So what I'm expecting to see is that uh, the strategy will be more tailored for each countries and uh, the, the easy globalization expansion globally uh, will not be so easy anymore. So um, it's going to be harder uh, for the companies to acquire an international status uh, comparing to the past. Can you make a prediction of how do you think this will play out of TikTok uh, being banned or they go, are going to be acquired or what do you think? Uh, well, this is a very hard guess. Um, I think uh, for this specific case, maybe TikTok could be acquired. I don't think Tencent uh, could be because the, the size and the ambition and the, the roles of the company are completely different. Um, I'm not, by the way, I don't think there are even legal grounds. I think this could become a, uh, a legal battleground in the States. So I personally think they will not last uh, in the long term. Uh, and it's also my wish that will be some kind of a rollback uh, we are also under election now, so the positions are very um, uh, polarized, to say so. But uh, if you ask uh, the American opinion, the last polls, they were against the ban, right? Also because they are users. <laughs> so majority of Americans right now don't understand this ban. Uh, because there's, and plus it's a an called executive decision, uh, which uh, if it was done by China, they were being called a, a total, totalitarian decision, right? But <laughs> because it's a democratic country, so it's an executive decision. But there is not a law. Uh, there is no real uh, backup for this decision. Uh, it sounds more like a, a, a business retaliation, 
right? Or to put pressure. Uh, Trump even said, I want a commission uh, from as a government if Microsoft acquired TikTok, which was really mind blowing. Uh, so it's like, we, I feel like we are like on the soup market uh, with no offense. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's totally rational. Um, my, my, my prediction and my wish, of course, is that this situation will diffuse uh, because it will damage badly every, every country. Um, there is no possibility to be completely autonomous and independent uh, in this global supply chain. So I hope this is just some adjustment uh, because there is actually that the big elephant in the room is the, 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 the rising role of China uh, becoming the first economy. And of course, the, the current first economy doesn't want that to happen or doesn't want that to happen without a fight, right? So we have, this is a historical, very critical situation. And 80% uh, of the time didn't end up well in the past. So let's hope it's just economical uh, issue and that can be figured out uh, pretty soon. So I, um, I, I don't think it's gonna escalate more than maybe there will be a few casualties like a few companies uh, but i don't think that it will become the the norm but better be ready and have a strategy uh that keeping to consideration a scenario right. where basically there is not a coming back to full open globalization right have a plan b always in, in these cases and with this i want to segue to the last question uh, what is the impact that you want to have a, as a founder? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I'm so busy hustling that sometimes I don't even uh, question myself why I'm doing it. Uh, so uh, I know that I have to move forward, push forward. Exactly. And, and, and I'm asking this because you've been doing this for 25 or more years. And yeah, I mean, I'm curious yeah. to, to know. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that that's a very interesting question. When I started beginning, um, I had one goal, which was excellence. Uh, so it was very naive, actually. I didn't have even economical ambition or something. I just wanted to do uh, to solve a problem that was not solved before or in the best possible way and uh, have an impact uh, um, changing people's uh, way to interact with the technology. So this was my, my first goal. Uh, now that I'm more on, on, on the, I would say on the backstage, more in the shadow, um, I think it's very similar. Uh, just that I, I feel pleasure when it's another team doing it, right? So I see this younger generation coming up and I see them having the same wrong attitude that I had before or doing the same mistake. And so my, my biggest satisfaction is like when I can help them and convince them that, no, don't do that. Try to do this thing. It will work better. And then the best satisfaction when they come back to me and say, oh, wow, you really helped me and that you saved me time and, and so on. So uh, I, I, I would describe uh, my, 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 my goal evolution in, in, in this way. Sounds uh, very interesting and a noble cause. Uh, Davide Kari, thank you. Know, you. I, I didn't want. To, I don't want to say that I want to save the world, but now that I said it, the way, but it, it's honestly is the truth, right? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think you can be uh, into the startup uh, uh, ecosystem if you don't really want to help 
other people to succeed. Um, you you will not survive the the, the the down times for sure. That's great, Davide Kelly. Thank you for uh, joining the Founders Club podcast. Are you welcome? Thank you for inviting me.